Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Here, here's great news. Now we're, yeah, and I'm sure lots are concerned, and uh, and Dr. Khalid will probably echo this. That as we hit the stage one and people slowly start to uh, come out of their uh, bunker, uh, two weeks from now, will we start to see a a bit of an uptick in this as we release and and loosen up these uh, restrictions uh, a bit? The good news, more than 50% of Canadians, the Canadian cases, have recovered from the pandemic. To talk about all of this, Dr. Ahmad Khalid is with us, faculty member in human and social sciences, health policy advisor, Wilfrid Laurier University. He is with us now. Ahmad, thanks so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. Hi, Scott. Nice to speak to you. So uh, I want to start, uh, Ahmad, by uh, playing you a clip of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and him speaking in regard to the news that Donald Trump had uh, taken this new experimental drug. Here's what the Prime Minister had to say. I will continue to follow advice of medical professionals and uh, implore uh, every Canadian to follow the best advice of our medical health experts. All right, uh, doctor, what are your thoughts on, uh, first of all, can you pronounce this drug correctly for us so we all know what it is, and, and <laughs> then your thoughts? Yeah. Say it one more time, sorry? Hydroxy, hydroxychloroquine. Okay. Hydroxychloroquine, uh, to break it up apart. The, the, what, what the Prime Minister here is talking about is Donald Trump has made a statement that he's been taking hydroxychloroquine for the past couple of weeks as a precaution for COVID-19 that is extremely dangerous and against all medical advice. The scientific evidence is telling us that people who take, who have taken hydroxychloroquine have seen a irregular heartbeat. So it has an effect on the heart. Uh, we are also not clear about the dosage of hydroxychloroquine. How much should we be giving those patients? And more importantly, hydroxychloroquine is really primarily used for malaria and has not proven yet to have any effect on COVID-19. And if in some clinical trials where we're trying to see if it does have an effect, that has to be under the medical supervision of a doctor or a healthcare provider. Um, and so the message here is loud and clear. Please do not use hydroxychloroquine. Uh, and we're not quite sure why Donald Trump has decided to take that route. How did we get here? As you said, this is a drug that's commonly used to treat malaria. How did this even enter the discussion? There were some studies earlier on that where people were, some physicians in some countries, including the U.S., were using hydroxychloroquine in uh, severely ill patients in the hospital. So they were desperate. They didn't know what to use. Some of them were actually my colleagues in the U.S., infectious disease doctors that just weren't sure what they can use at this point because we were very early on in the pandemic, uh, severely ill patients in the intensive care unit. There were some reports that hydroxychloroquine has some benefits. So we were some physicians were trying it under very direct supervision of the full entire healthcare team, uh, and the results have come out so far not the greatest. We don't have conclusive evidence that it works, and therefore the message is so far no, we are not using it for the mass public, and it's not a treatment for COVID nineteen. So was there some sort of positive information that made people want to pursue this avenue? Yes, and so the, the hydroxychloroquine plays with the RNA of the viruses, and so that's where COVID-19 usually is the genetic composition of it. And so there were some theories that it might actually alter the transmission and the progression of the disease based on its, way, its effect on the RNA. Of, and you, the way you want to think about the RNA, it's like the inside mechanisms that operate the virus. So it would be like the engine of the car and the car being COVID-19. So 
there were some theories around that. Unfortunately, we don't have any good news about its actual long-term benefit. And on the contrary, what we're seeing is that it actually has an effect on heart rates. And so we're really, really careful about the messaging on people using it. You were saying that, uh, you know, this was being used experimentally on patients who were in very extreme, dire situations. And I can understand that, especially where we are, considering where we are, rather, with COVID-19. But what about using this as a preventative uh, measure? Uh, have you heard it being used in that scenario? The, the president was talking about that other frontline workers have been taking this. I'm not sure where he's getting that report about frontline workers taking this because I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are in the frontline and I have had never heard of that report before. Uh, we do know that some parts of Africa, some countries in Africa have been experimenting with the medication. Again, malaria is very rampant there. And so their use of hydroxychloroquine is more uh, common. Uh, however, in, in our context, in the Canadian context, there are no reports of our frontline workers using hydroxychloroquine. I think the president of the U.S. was trying to use that as a way to support his own theory. And we saw that his own medical doctor has actually had to make a statement to clarify what is going on and saying and urging the public that he's advised Donald Trump of the benefits and the harm of using the medication. And it was a decision of the president to actually go forward with using it. So it was a personal choice rather than based on evidence. You make up a very valid point, too, here, Ahmad, though. How do his doctors justify doing this, um, considering where it is? But also, it's the president of the United States. He's not a guinea pig. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's been the biggest difficulty in terms of a political science framework looking at this, is that how do you let the medical professional who is in charge of taking care of the health of the president to uh, arguably the most powerful man in the world against the medical advice? And I think at the end of the day, that's why his statement was very telling, that he advised the president of all the benefits and the harms, just how we explain it right now, and that the president has made the choice to go move forward with this as a personal choice rather than based on the best available medical evidence. And we've seen that over and over again, Scott, with uh, President Donald Trump and the advice going against the advice of his public health professionals and his medical care professionals. Uh, it's one thing, doctor, to have him decide to take that, and I guess that's his own personal prerogative. But what about releasing that information and telling the, the, the media that? How are people to interpret this? Well, uh, what we've been looking at is here is that the case that, that Donald Trump has decided to make this bold statement that he's taking hydroxychloroquine on a daily basis based as a reaction to what's been going on internally at the White House and and his own uh, firing of agents who've been uh, saying that there has been whistleblowers at the White House, that uh, there was a push for people to use hydroxychloroquine, and the messaging out of the White House is that to actually increase the use of hydroxychloroquine. I think this is why the medical professionals uh, and the medical teams across the world have been very strong and clear about their statements, including the World Health Organization and our own Canada Public Health Agency and our Prime Minister, of saying that there is no evidence to support this because I think this is the danger of putting out a statement saying that you can use a drug that is, by the way, exceptionally powerful uh, to put out as a preventative measure for the general public. The last thing we want to see is people trying to take hydroxychloroquine on their own at home. Uh, the president, and then we'll get off this and move on to something more credible, but um, uh, he also said something about zinc, a zinc supplement, and I've heard that being floated around. What, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So the, we've also heard about the zinc supplement, and, and there are some studies that are seeing some positive effects of that, but 
Again, I think that it's too early for that. And, and as a preventative measures, I think right now the best preventative measures for people is public health intervention. This is a pandemic, a virus that we know transmits easily from one person to another. So if you're looking for a way to protect yourself from this, my advice would be continue to practice this, uh, hand hygiene, safe hand hygiene, continue using hand sanitizers and, and washing your hands and, and try to stay away from large crowds. That is a, a scientifically based uh, the best way for you to prevent yourself from getting getting COVID-19. Okay, so here we are, doctor, uh, entering week number 10 since uh, March break. Uh, that's the only reference I can make at this point is it all seems to meld into one. Um, we're seeing stage one officially start in Ontario. I guess there's a gradually reopening over the weekend, and now we're seeing um, uh, retailers with separate entrances who can provide safe social distancing uh, begin to open. How concerned are you as we hit stage one today? And do we? How closely do we have to monitor the next two weeks? Will can we expect a ripple here? I think that we have to closely monitor the number of cases, and specifically, we need to be looking at. Can our health system uh, respond to a, a spike in the number of cases? We are going to see an increase in the cases. That's just normal. Uh, you know, we've been all locked up in our houses. Now we're exposed out to the public. Uh, this would, what, what will eternally, what eventually that will do is that it will create uh, increase in the number of cases as we transmit it to each other. Uh, but that to say is that I think it's a smart uh, process in terms of slowly opening up things. Uh, just to, as we as we move forward, because the reality is we're going to continue living in this COVID-19 environment until a vaccine is, is out there in the market for everybody and herd immunity is developed. So in the meantime, we really must be looking at a way to adopt this new reality. And one way of doing so is opening up things slowly and gradually over time. Okay, here's another uh, last question, Ahmad, that you probably can't answer, and it's just some good advice and common sense. I'm sure that'll come from you on this. But, you know, the kids are asking, when can we get together? It's stage one. When do we slowly let people get together? We are slowly seeing a restriction, a, a relaxing on that restriction. And by that, I mean that we're allowing more and more people to see each other. I, I think if the, the, the good advice here is that if you're in a public space, so outside air, fresh air, you can sort of get together with close people, but I will caution, please, to keep it from five to ten people at most. The last thing we want to see is massive crowds getting together in public. That is really against the advice of everybody right now. It's, it's slow and progressive, and, and progressive uh, move towards allowing social gatherings to happen over time. Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, faculty member in Human and Social Sciences, Health Policy Advisor, Wilfrid Laurier University. Ahmad, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.